This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks trek fm's dedicated books and comics show i'm one of your hosts dan gunther and with me as he is always is the wonderful the mighty bruce gibson bruce mighty bruce gibson (laughs) that's your superhero (laughs) i like it (laughs) you know uh wasn't there like an old serial back in the days before we were born called Mighty Joe Young? Hmm. It was like a it was like a, a smaller version of King Kong, oh, I think. And it was like a okay. a big ape. I actually know a guy named Joe Young, and I always think Mighty every time I see his <laughs> name. <laughs> I'm sure. So even when you said Mighty about me, I'm thinking of Joe Young. Nice. I'm sure he's heard that before. <laughs> I'm sure he hasn't heard the show before, but he might now. <laughs> Name check. I might have to send this to him. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've got a pretty good show for you tonight, I think. Uh, some interesting news here that's uh, come across the Star Trek Books and Comics news desk. Uh, first of all, we've got some announcements for comics coming in March 2017. Five weeks in a row of one-shots called Star Trek Deviations. Uh, Bruce, why don't you talk a little bit about this first issue of Deviations? Well, Deviations is just what it's saying. It deviates from what we know of the universe. So these are Star Trek tales that do a twist. So, for example, in this first issue, I'll read a little the synopsis of this issue that's coming out in March. In a world where the Romulans discovered Earth before the Vulcans, Earth is now a brutal penal colony. Resistance fighter William Riker has uncovered a vast conspiracy, and together with his band of prisoner outlaws, you just might recognize a few, must fight to rescue a mysterious prisoner in the darkest level of the Romulan dungeons, the only man on Earth that still holds the key to humanity's return to the stars. I wonder who it could be! I wonder. I have absolutely no idea. Wow. (laughs) Well, and we see on the cover a... Starfleet emblem, like a a pin from a uniform that's buried somewhat in the sand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of like that that movie era. I wonder, it almost looks like the belt buckle from the movie era. It is. Someone lost their belt and their pants in the the, the desert, I guess. How embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) That's why this comic deviates from anything else we see on Star Trek. (laughs) That's the ultimate application of chaos theory. Somebody lost their pants, which you know, created this alternate timeline. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been waiting for this for 50 years (laughs) to have something like this. So now this deviations, as you mentioned, there's five issues. So this is the first one coming out in March. And then there's, I guess, you know, uh, they say it's five weeks. So I I guess, I don't know if it's weekly after Mm. that. But anyway, I think we'll find out more information about it. But this IDW deviations isn't just... Star Trek, they're doing it with some of their other lines where you have this alternate take on the franchise universe. And they're doing it with Orphan Black, The X-Files, Judge Dredd, and My Little Pony. Wow. Very cool. So this is this really reminds me of the Myriad Universes uh, books that came out quite a while ago. So kind of that idea that, you know, there's 
billions of different possible timelines out there, and this is just one glimpse into an alternate one. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what they're going to do uh, with this. I, I like to see different takes occasionally, so it's pretty cool. But not only is that coming out in March, but there's just our regular series that are continuing through into March, like Star Trek Boldly Go. We have uh, the next Star Trek Green Lantern and Star Trek Waypoint. So we've got the covers to those three issues in March that we're looking at right now. And Star Trek Boldly Go, which is number six. So number five, we talked about on a previous show that has Jayla on it. This one has McCoy from the Kelvin timeline bellied up at the bar with a drink sitting on the bar in front of him and some woman behind him just casually looking at him. Very cool. I don't... I don't know what all that means. <laughs> I don't either, but this feels kind of, you know, classic McCoy, right? Maybe this is uh, this is his watering hole and that waitress is going to come up and ask, what's your poison kind of thing, like in Star Trek 3. <laughs> could be. Could very well be. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a, an interesting cover just to so, show McCoy just look sitting there at a bar, but that... I don't know. It makes me want to see why that is there. So I I will read it. Obviously, we will read it. So the other one is the Star Trek and Green Lantern crossover. Now, this is issue number so issue number four of volume two. And um, so at this point, we've only read the first issue. So we're really jumping ahead because we'll get an issue later this month in January and then one in February. And here's March, which is number four. I'm just seeing Kirk and McCoy and... That bad guy from the Green Lantern <laughs> that I can't remember his name. <laughs> that bad guy. Yep, that's uh, that's what I call him. <laughs> Was it? Um, uh, come on, Dan. You know. Is it, is it okay? I know there's one named Sinestro. Is that that's, that's him? it? Okay. Sinestro. Yep. I th- I think that's Sinestro, Sinestro in the background. His big old face looking at Kirk and we McCoy. we totally know what we're talking about I mean, on this Kirk podcast. and Green Lantern. <laughs> I'm not suggesting McCoy is Green Lantern in this. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, also, uh, after that, we get um, issue number four of Star Trek Waypoint. Now, this this cover. Wow. I love this one. We've got the TNG crew facing off against a bunch of phaser fire, and they're firing back. And Worf's carrying, uh, looks, looks to be a disabled data. This is epic. This is a really cool cover. I love this. Yeah, it definitely looks like they're at war with someone. They're all shooting in the same direction. And yeah, Data's over Worf's shoulder. I wonder what's going on. I wonder who they're shooting. Definitely interested in that. And you said that was number four, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah, waypoint number four. Very cool. Okay, so here's a... I, I found a quick little synopsis. This will have the first of an Enterprise story in it. Because there's always two stories in Waypoint. So one will be an Enterprise story where Captain Archer's pet beagle, Porthos, takes center stage in a temporal (laughs) Cold War tale that sees the beloved pooch traveling back in time in order to save a young Jonathan's life. Wow. This could be either really good or really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm wondering if it's the Enterprise version of yesteryear, but it's all about Porthos. (laughs) You know, I'd watch that. It's kind of, you know, it's the Porthos version of Quantum Leap. He's been sent back to put right what once went wrong. And then the next generation story, the synopsis doesn't tell us much more than what we know in the cover. As a matter of fact, I think the cover tells us more about what the synopsis does because it says that this story is double trouble, quite literally, for an away team when they explore a strange new planet. Wow. That's, I mean, that's the synopsis of... 80% 80% of the episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> Although the double yes. trouble literally. Now today in the feature, we're, go- we're going to be talking about the mirror universe. So doubles, maybe something to do with that. Or am I reading way too much into that? I thought the same thing. Here's another thing I'm wondering if this involves lore. Ah. Since data is, is not available to do anything since he's hanging over Worf as like his shawl, a data shawl. <laughs> I, uh, I, prefer, I prefer a data boa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. Uh, 
So maybe they're finding lore, and that's the double trouble because it's like two datas. I don't that's know. That's some good thinking. I never thought of that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, other uh, Star Trek comic news. We've got Star Trek, the classic UK comics, volume two, 1970 to 1972 uh, coming out. And we have a preview of that that we've just gotten. Now, we've talked on this show, of course, about the Gold Key comics. And much like the Gold Key comics, the uh, UK comic strips are definitely something very different when it comes to Star Trek. These are not your typical Star Trek stories. And I think the best word that can be used to describe them would be bizarre. Yeah, just like the Gold Key, like you said, very bizarre. And the way they... They talk at times, you know, it's very Buck Rogers, you know, they're jet packs and, a, you know, galactic meal or whatever they're doing. <laughs> it's uh, it's something I'm looking forward to reading um, just because, first of all, I don't think we've really ever had these in the States, so I don't, I've never read them before. So um, and they're all full color pages for at least the U.S. price. I think this is is for forty nine ninety nine. And I do know that the Saturday Morning Trek podcast is talking about these. I'm not sure which episodes they're doing them in, but I know they are uh, talking about these, which kind of makes sense. I mean, they're newspaper comics, so, you know, that kind of fits in with what they do. So uh, I, I hopefully will be getting our hands on these and taking a look at them in the near future as well, though. Yeah, I wonder if they're if it's just available as a hardcover book or if it's also going to be available as an ebook. I didn't I don't have the first version because this is the, the second volume, so I'm not too sure about that. I think it's only available as a physical book. I think so, yeah, but yeah, I'd have to double check that. Well, 240 pages, 49.99 US. I mean, this is definitely a hefty tome. So, uh you know, another doorstop to go along with your Star Trek encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is very groovy. Absolutely. <laughs> well, also in uh, Star Trek comic news, the Star Trek graphic novel collection that was announced uh, quite some time ago is now available. Uh, so far, only in the UK from Eagle Moss. There's, those are the guys that do the really awesome Star Trek Starships collection. If you could... Uh, if you could see in my room where I'm recording, you'd know that I have a ton of them all around me. Love those guys. They're doing a different graphic novel every uh, two weeks. So there's two books arriving each month. And these are from the entire back catalog of Star Trek comics. So gold key all the way up through IDW. Yeah, we mentioned this before when it was first announced. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you like Star Trek comics and you want to read all of them practically, and you live in the UK, this is the thing to do. I mean, you're only paying every, you know, it's like you're paying a monthly fee and you're getting these two in. And it looks like there's about four dozen of these volumes. Now, it's going to take a lot of space on your shelf, but it's going to look fantastic because if you go to the eaglemoss.com website and look at this, they make this beautiful picture when all stacked, stacked together on the shelf. You see all the different starships and uh, looks like there's maybe some other objects in there. I think I see even like a Borg cube in there, but I mean, it's a, it's, I, I almost would want it just because it looks so beautiful on the shelf. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, a lot of these stories are ones that I've already read. And I mean, a lot of them aren't, I haven't, I haven't read all of these by any stretch, but for me, I think, yeah, it would be just really cool to have them on the shelf in this format. Uh, no word on when or if they're coming to uh, the U.S. or Canada. I would say they definitely will be. I mean, the Starships eventually did as well, but no word on when that might be happening. But hopefully, uh, hopefully the North American market can get their hands on them soon, too. Yeah, or anywhere else in the world. And as soon as we find out, we will let you know. Definitely. Well, the way we let you know things, of course, is through the podcast. And you can get this podcast on iTunes if you're an Apple user. And if you do get it there, make sure to hit subscribe. And if you have the time, leave us a star rating as well. That really helps us rise up in the search results on iTunes. And if you're not on iTunes, we've got you covered as well. You can get your podcast wherever you normally get your podcasts from, as well as now on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash trekfm and you'll find all of the podcasts there as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us, there's a number of ways that you could do that. 
Uh, we have a form on the website at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail there as well. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter at trek.fm. We also have the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion in the menu bar. We also have a Goodreads group. Bruce, why don't you tell everyone about that? Yeah, I love the Goodreads group. You can find us on Goodreads uh, where we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books as well as the current reading list that uh, coming up on future episodes that you can keep up with us and, and tune into those shows and you can be reading along with us. And so there's some great conversations that you can have on there. So just go to Goodreads and search for Literary Treks and ask to join the group. And more than likely, we will approve you so you can join the fun. It's always nice to be approved of, for sure. <laughs> it is. If you're just looking for approval, we're here for you. Absolutely. Yeah, all the time. We, we, we are a very accepting group. Well, why don't we uh, dive right into the feature this week? I've got my bathing suit on. Let's do it. Well, this week we're taking a look at some classic comics from the DC run in the Star Trek universe. These first came out in the mid-80s, shortly after Star Trek III The Search for Spock, and it's since been published as the Mirror Universe Saga in its own graphic novel, and again more recently as the Star Trek Archives Volume 6, Best of Alternative Universes. So that's right. Today we're playing around in the mirror universe. Yeah, we're going to be playing around in the mirror universe quite a bit uh, the first half of this year because we're going to be doing the Shatner verse novels here very soon that takes place in the mirror universe. It's the middle trilogy of his books. And there's free comic book day that's coming up in May. And there's a mirror universe uh, free comic that takes place in, with the next generation and so we're, I don't know why, but we're just kind of dipping into the mirror universe these next few months. So we're going to be very familiar with this universe. I kind of didn't realize exactly how much we have coming up having to do with the mirror universe. I mean, I, I think it might be worth it, Bruce, if, if you're into this as well, we should probably go grow goatees because I think the mirror, mirror universe is going to become the main universe for us pretty soon. I, I've had goatees often on, off and on throughout my life. So I'm there. Can you grow a goatee, Dan? Have you ever had one? <laughs> uh, nobody wants to see that, actually. I immediately regret <laughs> suggesting that. It is it is not a pretty sight. I, I would not do well in the mirror universe. Let me put it that way. I, I can't look threatening oh. enough. I can't grow the threatening facial hair. Well, you know, not all characters have the facial hair. So I think I think you're okay. I think you'll do good. So I've got the... The Mirror Universe Saga edition that came out from DC in 1991. And I bought this probably that year or shortly after. And I've read it two times uh, in the past several years. And then I guess this recent recording that we're doing would be my third time reading it. Dan, had you read these before? I actually hadn't. Uh, that is that is the version that I read as well. And I actually read it on that on the the DVD ROM that came out with all of the Star Trek comics from gold key on that got put out a few years ago. But this is something, I mean, that cover of that graphic novel is absolutely gorgeous. And I bought a lot of Star Trek magazines and all sorts of things during that time period. And it was often advertised in the back pages as, you know, something you could buy. And I was always wanting to get it because, and, and I'll admit it, that cover is, is, just gorgeous. That's totally what drew me to it initially. Yeah, the cover's got Kirk in the center, uh, sitting in his captain's seat in the center of the bridge. But uh, behind him, we see a silhouette. Well, not a silhouette, but we see a profile of Spock and Mir Spock. And there's McCoy. And further down, we see Chekhov and Scotty. And we see Savik, Sulu, Yahor. So the whole crew is there. Um, but this version from the early 90s that cover was used again when idw republished it as star trek archives volume six best of alternative universes so if you're interested in reading these stories there are eight issues from 84 85 time frame they were issues number nine through 16 that dc had printed at that time 
You can read those now from IDW in a graphic novel called Volume Archives Volume 6, Best of Alternative Universes. Yeah. And, you know, if you haven't read this story, and, and I hadn't, it's it's excellent. Like, this is some great storytelling. I have to say much better than I was expecting when I first read it. I mean, we've read some comics from this time period and even later that are not that terrific. But I feel like, and I don't know what your thoughts are, Bruce, but I really enjoyed this. It was a, a lot of fun. I think I'm kind of with you on that, that I liked it better than I thought I was going to. And I had mentioned that I had read it before, but I couldn't remember real well how much, if I liked it a lot. I I, I, I think I read it twice years ago because there's so much going in here and there's some things that fit with continuity and other things that don't. And I, I remember rereading it for that reason. I was kind of picking it apart. So coming back to it all these years later, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, I'm probably not going to like this all that well. But then I found out it wasn't as bad as I thought. I actually thought it was a pretty decent story in the mirror universe. So actually it doesn't, some of it takes place in the mirror universe and a lot of it takes place in the prime universe. So we were, we're going back and forth between the two. Mm -hmm. Well, as the story starts out, it, first of all, it takes place in a very unique time period in Star Trek history. So the crew has just rescued Spock from the Genesis planet and he's been uh, rejoined with his mind and body. So this takes place immediately after Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. They're all still on Vulcan with the Klingon Bird of Prey. And Kirk decides that he needs to visit Regula One to see Carol Marcus because, of course, their son David was killed in the previous movie. So we have them setting out for Regula One. In the meantime... Starfleet, of course, is trying to figure out exactly what to do about these now criminals who have stolen the Enterprise and destroyed it and all, all, all this stuff in Star Trek Three. So what did you think about the time period it's set in? Like, I, I feel like this would have been a challenging thing for the writers to kind of try and work around. Right, because the writers don't know what's going to take place in Star Trek Four. It hadn't been written. It hadn't been shot yet. So this issue came out as you mentioned, right after or shortly after Star Trek three. So it takes place right after those events. So whatever they're going to do with these characters and the situations, they're going to have to reset and bring it back to where things were at the end of Star Trek three going into Star Trek four. So this is the filler between three and four. And I remember that they did that in later issues where they resolved Spock not being full full Spock mentally and still learning things by the time uh, we get to Star Trek Four. So this first chapter or this issue in this first series of, of the Mirror Universe is actually my favorite out of the eight because it is what happens right after we see Spock back to himself, meeting McCoy and the rest of the crew there on Vulcan, and boom, we jump right to this issue, and he's recovering from the ordeal, so is McCoy, and as you mentioned, you know, it's, 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 it's to me, it's like the missing scene at the end of Star Trek Three. what happened next, and mm -hmm. that's what we see in this first issue. And who would have thought that so much happened <laughs> in between Star Trek Three and Four? Because, and, and also... I mean, this this is just the beginning of that, too, because there was a whole number of issues in between those movies. I mean, because it was a couple of years between Star Trek three and start and the release of Star Trek four. So there's two years worth of comic book stories that they had to kind of squeeze in there. Yeah, because if you think about it, it's three and four. They're just they're on Vulcan. What what could possibly be going on? Mm -hmm. Well, and especially in Star Trek four, we find out they were only on Vulcan for three months, which you know, it's actually quite a long time, but I don't know if it was enough time for, and spoiler alert for this story and for comics going forward, I don't know if it's enough time for them to have repelled an invasion from the mirror universe and then gained command of the USS Excelsior and had a mission on a bunch of missions on the Excelsior. And then somehow, and I, again, I've heard that they did this with the comics. I haven't read them, so I don't know how I, I think Bruce, you said you 
you've read those, but they somehow end up back on Vulcan with a bird of prey just in time for Star Trek four to start. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, it strains credibility, but it's, it's fun. It's really interesting that they were able to use these really weird circumstances and still craft these stories. Well, the way I look at it, when you say, wow, it's only been three months, can they really have done all this? Well, I mean, we've said the same thing about the original five-year mission, all the stories we've had there. There's no way all that could take place in five years. But I also like to, you know, look at this and say, well, maybe the three months, maybe it's Vulcan three months and Vulcan three (laughs) months are longer than Earth three months. So that gave you enough time to fit these stories in. Vulcan three months, that's like, that's like. Five Earth years. There's another five-year mission on the Excelsior in there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing I, I, I do like is trying to just see how the writers try to bridge these. So we have we have Kirk and crew get back on the, the bird of prey and Spock does not go with them, right? He stays. Didn't he stay behind on Vulcan, I he think? He did, yeah. So he's kind of having some issues. Things aren't going quite as smoothly as as we see them happen between star trek three and four you know talar the vulcan priestess is a little bit worried about his condition and it looks as though he might not be exactly on the road to recovery so yeah he stays behind on vulcan for much needed rest and we will of course catch up with him later on in this series well, and as you mentioned, they go on the bird of prey to regular one. And what I like about it is Kirk is going to get with Carol Marcus to tell her about David. But prior to getting there, he sent her a recording. So she already knows before he gets there that David had passed away. And when he sees her on the station, she's angry at him. She takes it out on him and saying, you know, this is what I was protecting David from. I didn't want him to be like you. And now it still happened. He get he got himself into a situation because you got involved and now David's dead. And I think she even mentioned to him, you know, she'd rather that James Kirk died and not David. Mm-hmm. And of course, the thing is, Kirk feels exactly the same way. He would have rather he give his own life than to have lost their son that way. And I mean, it's. It's very real and it's kind of something that I always wish we had seen in canon Star Trek because Star Trek 3, we get David, but we don't see anything to do with Carol. And given her feelings in Star Trek 2 and how much she didn't want David to become a part of that world with Kirk, the fact that things ended the way they did would have been just absolutely devastating. Yeah, and then shortly after that scene, we see an alternate scene with Kirk and Carol and come to find out now we're entering the mirror universe. (laughs) I also, I do have to say, I love how they hide (laughs) the fact that it's a mirror universe. You know, you see, you see glimpses of their uniform, but nothing that identifies it as the mirror universe. And every time they show Spock, there's like a railing or somebody's shoulder blocking his uh, the lower half of his face. So there's always, you know, goatee blocking technology on the bridge. <laughs> yes. And then we get to the last panel of chapter one or the first issue in this series. And there we see the reveal of the Enterprise crew on the bridge posing for us, <laughs> showing us that we're not who you thought we were. We are the mirror universe crew. <laughs> quick, quick, everybody crowd around the helm console. We've all got to get in frame for this panel. <laughs> oh, it's great. Good stuff. If there was a Star Trek Beyond that took place in the mirror universe, then Spock would look at this crew picture when he's trying to remember the prime Spock when he finds it in his personal items just like we saw them from star trek 5 crew picture this is the mirror universe crew picture. exactly yep absolutely <laughs> so now we go on to the next chapter or the next issue and now we're in the mirror universe and the enterprise and i emphasize enterprise gets attacked by I don't know what this is. I guess this, I guess this was a ship that was somehow connected to the regular one station there. But when it gets attacked, there's a, 
a continuity era <laughs> era because now the enterprise looks like the excelsior yeah so they're they're doing some sort of thing where they're they're basically beaming the enterprise to uh i guess what to them is the mirror universe but is yeah that's true yeah you're right they t- these two ships are sending these beams to the enterprise slash excelsior whatever ship it is <laughs> which it's supposed to be the enterprise you're right they're and they're they're moving that ship from their universe into our universe. Mm. And so this is something I've actually noticed a few times in these issues are these little tiny continuity errors because you're right in the, the flash that sends them to the mirror universe. We see the ship in side profile and yeah, it's definitely the Excelsior. They've, they've traced the wrong (laughs) picture for the enterprise and it's actually the Excelsior. And then Later on, this is much later issue, I notice, when they're going back and forth between the two Kirks on their bridges, and uh, our Kirk is wearing the Mirror Universe insignia, which really threw me off. I had to reread and realize where the mistake was. So there's, you know, that's one thing is that there are a few little errors that creep in here, but, you know, nothing too egregious, but just stuff where I think a good copy editor would have been like, well, wait. That's not right there, you know? Yeah, I wish they would have caught some of those because it does get confusing when you have two Kirks and two Spocks. And if you put the wrong uniform on one and or the wrong ship, you really start to get confused because there's double of things. Well, and, it, and it's kind <laughs> of, yeah, like you say, in a story like this, it's so important. And it's the main way that you're able to keep track of the story is by recognizing the small differences. And when they mess those up, yeah, it's really not helpful. No, and uh, it's confusing enough as it is when if it is all correct because you're trying to keep up with all these duplicates of people and ships. But then we also get to see what you know I like to call the lower decks of this comic series at this time because at the, Paramount allowed DC to add crew members to the Enterprise. In later years, they didn't allow that. You had to keep it to the core group. But this, we had regular Enterprise crew members that appeared const- as regulars in, in the issues as it continued during the early to mid-80s. And so in this, we did get brief introduction to William Bearclaw, Nancy Bryce, and I never said his name out loud, but he's the Klingon on the ship. Is it Konome or Gnome? Noom? I, I always thought it was Konome, but... I real I, I don't think there's any basis in reasoning for me pronouncing it that way other than that's kind of how it went in my head while I read it. Um you know and and he's been like you say these lower decks characters have been in lots of comic issues before. So it's kind of nice that you know it's tying into that comic continuity and at the same time tying in so closely to the movie continuity. To me, it felt like these characters were more real than they ever had been before. If you think of, quote unquote, real Star Trek as being canon Star Trek, like the movies and that sort of thing. So to me, this really like put puts it at a distinct point in time that these characters, for the first time for me anyway, anyway feel very real, very, uh, very much a part of Star Trek, if that makes sense. Yeah, and they're very much lower deck uh, character. Mm-hmm. So if you had a series like Next Generation, and if you took some of those characters from that episode, the Lower Decks, then and had them on regularly, that's kind of what these characters are like. So I like having more characters because I mean we, we've got a ship of hundreds of crewmen, and we're only s- focused on a handful. And so I like to see more and more on a regular basis to make it feel like there's a crew that's there consistently over and over through all these different voyages and adventures. Yeah. And the scene where Kirk brings them back on board was actually a lot of fun with, uh, Oh, how did, how did it go exactly? He said something along the lines of, um, you know, they would, they would defect to the Klingons and the Romulans or something like that. And he wouldn't wish that on, on them. So I guess I'll take them aboard. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was pretty great. And then, you know, of course the, the, hoorays and haulers from the crew i don't know it was it was kind of a little bit um a little silly but a lot of fun you know which is what i think these comic books can do really well and what they should be they should be a lot of fun 
So it's a lot of fun to see those guys and, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is definitely appreciated. And we also have uh, Captain Styles from Star Trek Three on the Excelsior. He's been sent on a mission to go gather Kirk and crew for what they've done since the events of leaving the Starbase where the Excelsior was before and what happened afterwards, the Bird of Prey and going to Vulcan and, and Genesis and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, now we got to go get Kirk and arrest him. So now Styles is part of this. If you thought the mirror universe is fun, wait until Captain Styles comes with his <laughs> style. <laughs> well, and for some reason, they got rid of his most defining characteristic, the thing that really gave him style, which is that ridiculous mustache of his now why does he not have that in these books i don't know except maybe it's they couldn't they didn't get permission for the actor's uh, likeness that see that make that makes the most sense out of everything i've heard uh i don't know though i mean yeah. that it, i mean you still can make him look different and still have a mustache mm -hmm, that's true but you're right it's missing i just assume that maybe he lost a bet because he couldn't <laughs> keep, up, keep up with kirk and so he had to shave it yeah i was wondering like it, it would have been interesting if they had because they don't have the mirror universe styles in this one it would have been interesting if you know our styles looked like the styles that we saw in star trek 3 but the mirror universe styles didn't have the mustache so he was like the inverse spock <laughs> i don't think i've ever talked about mustaches so much in star trek <laughs> when you're talking about the mirror universe bruce facial hair is a huge component <laughs> it obviously is especially when it comes to spock <laughs> which we do get more spock than as we're going into the third issue or third chapter of this book uh we start to see more of mirror spock and he uh, is in confrontation with the crew of the Enterprise. So we have the Mir crew taking over the Prime Universe crew. Yeah, and this is really where the Mirror Universe stuff kind of kicks into high gear. We've got the various crew members facing off against each other, which, if you think about it, is really something that we never got before in the Mirror Universe, at least, you know, with the classic Star Trek episode. You always think of that as you know the mirror universe versus our universe but it really wasn't it was you know four characters getting swapped so our captain kirk never encountered their captain kirk and vice versa you know so but this but in this case we get the crews facing off which of course opens up a lot of exciting storytelling possibilities with characters switching with each other and juxtaposing what their lives were like before versus the characters from our universe. That's one thing the mirror universe is really interesting for is all these really interesting story possibilities that we get. Yeah. And keep in mind too, that as these mirror universe characters have come over to our universe, they're on an enterprise and the original enterprise from their universe, because theirs hasn't been destroyed or exploded like ours was in Star Trek three. So we've got the original enterprise back, which I thought would be really cool if Kirk from our universe took over their enterprise and he regained his enterprise back again. But of course we had to fit in with what the movies had, but what was really interesting is this, this refitted enterprise was refitted with a huge Tantalus field. <laughs> the thing is size of the bridge view screen. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's much different than what we saw in the mirror universe episode. So in that one, we had a little wall panel kind of slide out of the way. And there's this little tiny screen that, you know, you can disappear people with. And of course, as we found out in an earlier episode of literary treks, that's actually the Chitor transfer key or some version of it. Anyway. Yes. Yes. So did, were, were you thinking that when you were reading this? Yes, absolutely. I was kind of trying to tie that all together and, you know, Kirk knowing how to use it because of the transfer key and the adventures they had with Captain Una several years earlier. <laughs> yes. And legacies. And so I was thinking that too, how they mentioned that when the Tantalus field is used, 
people disappear. And I was like, yes, but I know where they go. Yeah, they kept calling <laughs> it the disintegrator function. And nope. <laughs> They're in some sort of weird Twilight Zone place now. Yeah. Well, then shortly after that, our Kirk, Prime Kirk, sees Marlena. And she freaks out because she thinks it's the mirror Kirk that she's fearful of because, you know, he's a bad dude. And he's like, Marlena, remember where you are. Look at me. It's me, the other Jim. She goes, your, your eyes are softer, less cruel, but there is only one way to be certain. <laughs> I agree. And they kiss. Of course. Of course. The kiss identifies that he is the softer side of Kirk. <laughs> I feel like whenever one of these scenes comes up for Kirk, there's just the perfect reaction to it. And that's from Star Trek VI when Martia uh, crawls on top of Kirk and kisses him. And you just see McCoy in the background roll his eyes and flop his head back on the bed. Like that is totally my reaction is just like a really hard eye roll. Okay. <laughs> that was the best thing to put at the, the last movie with the original crew is McCoy basically calling out what we're all thinking. What is up with you? Where <laughs> do you have to kiss everybody? Exactly. Exactly. What is it with you anyway? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, so we've got, of course, now another ally in Marlena. So, you know, things are primed now for our prime crew to eventually vanquish the evil, terrible Mirror Universe crew. Now, I kind of want to talk a little bit. Um, I forgot to put this in the outline, but the Mirror Spock. Now, there's something about his character here that just bugs me a little bit and I'm kind of going to be jumping all around the story talking about this at the end of mirror mirror it really seems like he's on board and of course we learn in when we revisit the mirror universe in deep space nine he eventually did work you know to create reforms and overthrow the empire and that sort of thing but like in this story he just seems like such a pushover by both sides so He's like, well, I did consider it, but then decided it was illogical. So I decided to go along with the Empire. And then he and the prime timeline Spock mind meld. And he goes, well, you know what? I think you guys were right. Maybe I will help you guys out. And I kept expecting there to be some kind of like ulterior motive and that he was playing both sides and it was going to unleash some really logical, diabolical plan. But it never really happened. He just flip-flops from side to side, depending on what the story needs, I guess. Yeah, it does seem weak. Because uh, like you said, the way that episode ended, and then just to come into this story and have him say, well, yeah, I considered it, but that's all I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like... And he's so, just... with such conviction, he's like, Captain Kirk, I shall consider it. And then Kirk beams away, and what, he goes, eh. <laughs> Well, let me just say, when our next episode, we're going to talk about that uh, Shatnerverse novel, Spectre, uh, he kind of does the same thing there. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. But it gives you a little more story behind it. So I was, for those listening, I'm reading that novel and this comic graphic novel at the same time so it's a bit confusing between the two different mirror universe <laughs> stories and uh those kind of that explanation in the novel kind of takes care of what i read in this comic okay see so now i haven't gotten there yet so that's very cryptic and now i'm very curious so excellent you should be because remember the shatnerverse novels take place in the 24th century so there's some history there also, another thing I kind of want to talk a little bit about is the history of the Mirror Universe. It seems that, like, we get a lot of different versions of when and how the Mirror Universe came to be. And in this version, uh, it seems that the two universes were pretty much identical, or maybe even just the same universe, until the Earth-Romulan War. Uh, which, you know, several differences happened. Earth and the Prime Universe fought the war in deep space, far away from the homeworld. But 
in the mirror universe, they fought the Romulans in their own solar system. They were conquered by the Romulans and held in slavery and then overthrew them after 10 years. But, you know, this resistance expanded and they were very militant and they became the empire. What do you think of this particular version of the history of the mirror universe? I kind of like this actually, um, that, the Romulan war played out differently in this universe. And that even though the, the earth people, <laughs> the earthlings, I want to call them earthlings. The Terrans. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's the yes. version. <laughs> well, that's true. But um, that earth was able to take over the Romulans and not only just, you know, come out of slavery and conquer them. But once they did that, they didn't just go back to normal. Uh, they became conquerors themselves. And so I like how the resistance expands and uh, basically turns into the empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not a bad one. Uh, I, I tend to prefer the stories that place the, the separation much earlier than this. And I mean, I know that doesn't really make a lot of sense as far as uh, how people are so much the same. I mean, if you know, the universes had split off, you know, 2000 years ago, there wouldn't be a James T. Kirk and, and a Spock, like exactly the same, but different in each universe. But I still prefer that personally, because I like the idea that there's just such a fundamental difference between the two universes that they've, they've had this totally different trajectory. I, I love in Canon in the enterprise episode in a mirror darkly where Phlox is reading literature from earth's history. And he says, you know, the stories are so much darker and bloodier and, 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 you know, so kind of intimating that the split took place a long, long time ago, except he says, um, except for Shakespeare, because in both universes, they're equally bloody. And as a Shakespeare <laughs> As a Shakespeare fan, I love that. I thought that was great. But anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> well, you know, it, you could you can almost look at this and say that there, the this universe was bloodier uh, because Savick says that the two universes were nearly identical. They weren't exact, so you could say okay, one was true. bloodier. It's just the biggest shift happened at this period of time during the Romulan War. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm stretching it a little. I try to make it all fit. That makes sense. I kind of like that. Um, I also do like that, for example, in the mirror universe, they have the, they have the starship Nixon because <laughs> you've just got to take bad guys from history and make them into ships. Like, so, you know, earth went through this Romulan war and became conquerors and decided eh, Nixon was actually a pretty good guy after all and named one of their ships after him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a to it was a mere Nixon, <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> totally different. You know, there there was no Watergate or anything. It was uh, a, a different history. Who knows? That could be, and maybe yeah. You know, a president like JFK is their biggest villain in history, or something like that. But Nixon was man, that guy. That was a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> so the the so we have our Enterprise crew. They they they're now. You know, they got away from the, the Mirror Universe crew by getting on the Excelsior. And uh, we have Mirror Spock going to Vulcan to look for Prime Spock, who's still recovering and his brain isn't all working all that well. And so, long story short, there's a mind meld happening, happening between these two Spocks. Surprise, surprise. You know that's coming. Oh, yeah. And so, Dan, what do you think would happen... If Mir Spock mind melds with the Spock that's not fully recovered yet. So I did kind of make fun of Spock's flip floppiness here, but I do actually appreciate what this would have done for the mirror Spock. So seeing a totally different perspective, you know, more so than his mind meld with McCoy and mirror mirror did, you know, so this is, him, but having grown up in a totally different environment and that sort of thing, and really making Spock appreciate that maybe the Empire is the wrong path and there is actually a better way. And I also like that it gives an explanation for Spock's recovery. So you've got, 
even though he's the mirror universe, quote unquote, evil Spock, he's still Spock. So his brain can kind of reorder the prime Spock's brain and, and fix him a little bit in that way that I mean, it's it's convenient plot wise, but I, I thought it worked fairly well. Yeah, I like it, too. I, I like the fact that with the two mind melding, they're they're helping each other and he does help prime Spock in his recovery, but I will point out it's a temporary recovery because we got to get to Star <laughs> Trek four, <laughs> have these comics connect to that. And, uh, and that the mirror Spock is seeing the logic of our prime Spock, which is going to now convince him even more than Kirk's speech that he needs to flip flop to the good side on the, on the light side of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I totally forgot to mention this, but jumping back to the very beginning of the comic, there's one thing, and it's a total coincidence and just serendipity because this wasn't planned. This came out before Star Trek Four came out. But I love that the first question that Kirk asks Spock is, how do you feel? <laughs> and it really reminded me of that scene in Star Trek Four where the computer asks Spock, how do you feel? And he doesn't know how to answer. Anyway, that's totally... I just was reminded of that and I was like, because at first when I read this, I wasn't sure when it came out. So I thought that was a nice little touch. Like maybe it was after that little bit, but then I was wrong there. So, but yeah, that's a good catch. I didn't even pick up on that. (laughs) I don't don't know why that popped into my head, but I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, you make a very good point about the two Spocks helping each other. Uh, You know, their both of their lives have been pretty thoroughly messed up in very different ways. And which brings me to what I thought was a really interesting point that this comic made was that, you know, the people from the mirror universe, the counterparts of our heroes, they're not people to be despised and hated, but instead they should be pitied because they had to grow up and live in this barbaric universe that values things like tre- like treachery and personal gain and avarice over the ideas of friendship, community, and shared triumph that the Federation is based on. So I thought that was a really interesting point for these stories to make, that, you know, just because people are evil or there's, you know, quote-unquote evil and, and treacherous and stuff, you know, there are reasons behind that and maybe you shouldn't immediately leap to they must be hated and destroyed, but instead, you know, pitied and helped if you can. And I mean, spoiler alert, they pretty much do get destroyed at the end. (laughs) So, you know, there's that. But I like that the story does touch on that idea that, you know, maybe there's more to it than just these people are bad, so we have to kill them. Yeah, it wasn't one dimensional, the, mm-hmm. these characters. It wasn't just, oh, they're the evil Empire mere universe characters. They actually, you know, there was a sense of pity. Yeah. Uh, and feeling for them uh, and what they had to endure and, and where they are today, which leads us also into going into the mere universe. Marlena tells Kirk that there is a resistance group against the Empire. And so she takes him through the sewers of San Francisco all the way to Alcatraz to meet the leader of the resistance group who happens to be the mere David Marcus. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so Kirk, you thought you lost David, but now in the mere universe, he's alive. Yeah, this was, I, I thought, a pretty cool moment. You know, the idea that David is still alive in this universe and the absolute total shock that it is to Kirk. And I love that it's that shock and that surprise and that emotion that makes David realize, oh, this isn't the evil Kirk from this universe who I hate, who killed my mother. You know, this is someone else. So again, we've they actually get along better, don't they? They really do. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And uh, so we've got another ally in the fight against the Empire. And fight they do. And I don't mean Kirk and David, but the Empire and our crew from our Prime Universe are fighting each other in ships. And Kirk's got the Excelsior and they have now have the Bird of Prey. Spock has rejoined them to help out. Spock gets on the Bird of Prey. He throws it into Cloak 
and starts shooting people while under cloak. Pretty crazy. No, <laughs> that cannot happen. <laughs> According to Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, firing from a cloaked ship, that's impossible. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of these things. And I mean, we kind of see this throughout these stories as there's kind of these deviations from what we know of as canon. And this is definitely a big one. So, you know, they do, there is that one line in Star Trek three where Kirk says, my guess is she'll have to decloak before she can fire. And that's kind of what Canon has been based on since then that, you know, a ship can't fire while cloaked or a Klingon ship can't fire while cloaked. And they kind of seem to ignore that here. And there's a bunch of little things like, for example, the Excelsior transwarp drive, they can go, you know, warp 15, 16, 17. And then in one ultimate part of the story, they go warp 20 and they go, oh my God, we're going so fast, you know? And then we learn later in Star Trek canon that, you know, the transwarp experiment failed and, you know, ships can't go that fast and, and that sort of thing. So I like to just think that this takes place in another universe as opposed to just the mere universe, but <laughs> some other prime universe or timeline or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you take it for what it is, you know, at the time they should have known better than to have a cloaked vessel uh, that can shoot. Um, but at the same time, earlier in the story, as Styles is first introduced and is trying to chase down Kirk, the Mirror Enterprise starts coming towards them to attack. And I don't think at this point he really realizes it's the Mirror Enterprise. He just knows it's a starship coming to attack him. Uh, and he's thinking it could be the, the, the Prime Universe Enterprise with Kirk still commanding it uh, because he may not know that the other Enterprise had been destroyed. But regardless, as it's coming, they're like, sir, it just went under cloak. He's like, as I expected. <laughs> so he's even expecting Starfleet ships to go under cloak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's yeah a bunch of stuff that it's kind of one of those things. And like you and I, as lovers of the Star Trek books and comics, have kind of had to deal with a lot over the years is things that might have kind of loosely followed canon when they were published, but then very quickly became non-canonical because of something else that came later. So, you know, we don't... I had a hard time accepting it. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things. It's It's sometimes... Yeah. I mean, you read like a novel such as The Final Reflection that talks about the Klingons completely differently than what we've known them as. And it's, it's, you know, little things that you kind of have to squint and like you say, pretend, and maybe it's a parallel universe, very close to our universe, but, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's fine if you accept it. I mean, it's really about the story. It's not about cloaked ships. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And I mean, you know, this, this could be just a very minor version of that Star Trek deviations that we talked about before the, in the news today. Or maybe they're even, uh, they're testing a certain cloak that's not truly a cloak as we think of it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm trying to make it work for me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, so basically, uh, kind of fast forwarding through the story here, the the Mirror Universe fleet, you know, they they kind of end up. Uh, Kirk is commanding the Excelsior, leading the Mirror Universe fleet. And they discover that he's a traitor or they think that he's a traitor, not knowing that he's actually the mirror or our universe, Kirk. And they end up all fighting the Excelsior along with uh, the Excelsior's gathered Klingon and Romulan allies. And it's just a huge battle royale. And of course, our guys emerge triumphant in the end and make their way back to our universe to face the music for stealing the Enterprise, and then stealing the Excelsior, <laughs> and then doing all of the things from Star Trek Three and this story here, which brings us kind of towards the end of the story, uh, coming back into the Prime Universe. Yeah, so uh, they because what Kirk was able to do, uh, you know, he does have some support from certain members of Starfleet, and they take the Excelsior away from Styles. 
and give the Excelsior to Kirk. So we've got missions that take place after these stories involving Kirk in command of the Excelsior, which I have to be honest with you, when Star Trek IV came out, I remember watching in the theater and the way it ended and they were on the shuttlecraft going towards the Excelsior. I was like, oh my gosh, he's getting the Excelsior because I thought the Excelsior was so cool. And then when they fly over the hall and then you see a duplicate Enterprise, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, I really wanted a brand new different ship. (laughs) So we get to at least see him having a different ship. Uh, and a new version of uh, upgraded model of transwarp ship that uh, at least for a few issues after this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always and I always kind of wondered in the back of my mind once I had read a few of these stories with Kirk in command of the Excelsior. I always wondered if that little bit at the end of Star Trek Four was just a little nod to the comics. You know, they knew there were a few comic fans out there who had seen Kirk in command of the Excelsior, and it's like. Eh, is he going to get, ah, no, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you know what I also like about these issues uh, is they address Sulu was supposed to take command of the Excelsior, as we saw in the novelizations. Because mm-hmm. uh, he mentions that, you know, after all that they've been doing, there's no way he's going to get command of the Excelsior now. Yeah. <laughs> that was a very nice touch. And I love that they bring that in. Um there's always one little trimmed scene from Star Trek two that apparently when they're in the shuttle heading to the enterprise, Sulu talks about being promoted to captain soon and getting his own command, like even that early. And you can actually see it. This is just a total side trivia thing. When Sulu gives the line, I'm uh, what is it? I'm excited. Any chance to go aboard the enterprise. And you can see he, he's about to keep talking and then it cuts away to the shuttle going. That's apparently the rest of the scene there that that comes up. But anyway, um, I love that that gets a little bit of a nod here for sure. Yeah. And I am glad that eventually Sulu does get the Excelsior, even though it's like 2290, it's almost (laughs) five years later. And he gets to say, target that explosion and fire. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) And we get to see him on Voyager on that same ship. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, uh, kind of a quick wrap up to the end here. Um, what did you end up? Thi- what did you end up thinking of the Star Trek Mirror Universe saga? Well, as I said at the beginning, I liked it better than I thought I would from having read it previous times. Uh, so sometimes, I guess, with age and times, things can uh, come across better than what you think. So I would give this, considering even though it had some of its continuity flaws in it and you got to consider the time it was written and published i would give this four out of five cloaked ships that can fire excellent that's a that's a strong rating for sure even though you can't see it trust me they're there (laughs) um yeah i really actually enjoyed this a lot too it's something that i've been wanting to read for a long time like i say ever since seeing it advertised way way back when so to finally get a chance to read it now and You know, I hadn't realized that this was the story that got Kirk the Excelsior. So I have read a few stories where he was in command. I didn't realize that this was where it all originated. So that was really neat to find that out. And yeah, I I really like this story. I think it would have made for some really exciting films or episodes if, you know, something like this had been filmed. So I think I have to agree with you. I have to give this, I would say, four brand new starships under the command of both Kirk and Spock. Very good. Very nice. And for two people that do not have goatees or mustaches, those are pretty good ratings for this. I'd say so. Well, that was really good. I really am glad that we read this. And it's just coincidence that we're reading a mirror universe comic before we start getting some novels about the mirror universe. That was not planned. It just happened that way. And then some more Mirror Universe comics after that as well. Yeah, I guess we got to get used to looking in the mirror. (laughs) Definitely. Well, the Mirror Universe in Star Trek books and comics is not all that we've been talking about on the network for the past few weeks. So here are a few other things that have been discussed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Sugar and spice and everything nice. Yes, we know. 
but that's never mentioned in the episode at all. Like, you think there'd be some tag scene with everybody on the bridge and Kirk saying that to himself and Spock says, Spice Captain, <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> I guess so. Earl Grey. And then as kind of a teenager, I kind of drifted a bit from Star Trek and, you know, I pretended one time when I went to see Star Trek Nemesis that I was actually off to see Elf instead because that sounded cooler than seeing Star Trek Nemesis. And maybe it still is. To the journey! See, now now I'm picturing like old Seven of Nine at the end of Titanic. You know, she's got the doctor's medical tricorder in her hand and she lovingly tosses it over the side of the ship at the end of the episode. Oh, no, she has the mobile emitter. The mobile yeah, the, the yeah, she takes the mobile emitter yes. and throws it over Perfect. <laughs> I love this. The 602 Club. I thought it was a great story about, you know, perseverance and the courage to act even when you don't know how the outcome's going to, to come. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out those shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. One way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all of the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We'd really appreciate any support you can give, and we really hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to thank our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shea and Norman Lau for their support of the Trek FM network, and specifically for helping out literary treks. Now, Bruce, when you're not impersonating your mirror universe self and trying to thwart an invasion of our galaxy, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can also find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast. And we are going to go two times a week. So I'm not going to say I'm going to be on every time, but I will be on occasionally. So please check that out. And Dan, when you're not trying to grow a goatee, where can people find you? <laughs> the results are not promising. And uh, yeah. Uh, I definitely will not be taking pictures of that on Instagram. My handle on there is at Kurtrats47. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on Twitter at Kurtrats and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions, and on my website where I review Star Trek novels at www.treklit.com. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.